Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we will have a very relevant conversation that touches everybody's lives. This is relevant if you're an entrepreneur and you have a team, or this is relevant if you are growing your career. And the gap or the common thing between these two things is that we have to interview. <laughs> and then it's like, so far, I haven't met anyone that it's like, yay, I've got an interview, it's so exciting. On the contrary, we see interviews as, a little bit stressful. There's a lot of mysticism around it. There's a lot of unknowns around the interview process. So yes, we can go into Google and look for all these answers, but I think it's even better when we learn from each other and we learn from people who have been in the field, they are experienced and they can give us more of a human kind of uh, touch to this experience. So today, we have an amazing woman. Uh, we have Mel Punch. She is the head of UK careers at Investec. She has broad experience across HR in financial services and consulting across all types of companies from digital startup banks to big investment banks. So Mel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Moni. Lovely to see you. And we obviously work together at Startup Bank, so it's it's nice to, to see you after all that time. Yes, it's nice to reconnect always. So yeah, that's how Mel and I met. And that's why she knows she's, I know she's an amazing woman. It's not just because she's in the show. It's like we work together. So when I was like, oh, who should we bring to the show to talk about this? Then Mel came to my mind. So thank you, Mel. Nice to be. Appreciate it. Okie dokie. So we were just saying like in the intro, how interviewing can be scary. Um, just, it is like a black box for many people. But if we, there's like key questions that I think would make a difference when we go through that interview process that I would like to kind of explore with you in this mm. conversation. And I think the first one, I'll just go like, boom, direct to one of the issues or kind of like, yeah, it's a, it may be an issue, but I will explore it. So have you seen any difference when interviewing any difference between men and women throughout the process or like, uh, how is, how does that go from your view as, as a hiring manager, let's say? Great to the chase. I like that money. So I'd say, I mean, I've interviewed in 18 years of HR, I've interviewed hundreds of thousands of people, probably quite scarily. Um, and, you know, everybody is different and personalities are different. But, and, and I wouldn't say there's necessarily a clear difference in interviewing between men and women. 
Well, I will say, though, is when I've headhunted before and I've reached out to individuals to see whether they're interested in opportunities, there is certainly a level of confidence that men have that women don't have. Oh, in my experience. So I had and this is this is based on my experience of, of one particular role, although I've, I've definitely felt the trend throughout other roles. But one particular role was a very senior global role that I was hiring for. And I reached out to a number of people, male and female, who were doing a similar role in other companies. So kind of competitors, some different companies to just sort of gauge interest and see whether people would be interested. And the response from the male was typically around, you know, this is my package. This is my bonus. This is what I need as a minimum to think about moving. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it came to, and, and they'd engage well with the brand and conversation about, you know, the role, but it, but that ultimately was the crux of it. In a very different way, when you'd speak to a female about, um, about what she was looking for in terms of package or watch, or, or you try and coach her to talk about that, it was almost like they were giving excuses. Um, there was one particular lady who was kind of like, well, I, I'm on this much, and, and actually it was a lot less, I found actually the most... Me- both salaries for females doing a very similar role across maybe probably eight or 10 companies I spoke to, the men seemed to be on quite significantly more than the women oh, because wow. they went in with this confidence, like, this is the money I need. Da, 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 da. Whereas the ladies, one particular lady I was speaking to, she was telling me how she started giving me excuses. So she started saying, you know, I had, I had, I had children, not that that's an excuse, but she was excusing, oh, you know, I decided not to go down a finance director route. And I decided to do this role instead. Um, because I, you know, I'm a mother and I took time out to have my children and therefore, and therefore, and, and at the end of that conversation, having just previously spoken to a guy who was very clear about what he wanted, I actually felt, and it's something I, I always like to do, interviewing, recruiting, speaking to people is, is a very human experience, right? So I, I wanted to kind of give that experience back. And I just said to her, can I just play back what I've heard? And I played it back to her, what I'd heard. And I said, and can I just tell you about a conversation I've just had with a guy who's in a similar field to you, does a very similar job to you. This is what he did. Oh, this wow. is how, and it was really interesting. She took it really well. She took it really can well. Can you was- tell us, can you tell us, can you guide us through that conversation? So let's say if you were interviewing me and then I'm like, I said, whatever I said, but then you turn around and you say, you know what? I just had this conversation with this guy and I have to tell you, like, I just have to give yeah. you the feedback. Because yeah, I, I just, to. I think probably because I am female, right? And I yes, see it. Exactly, yes. In so, my current company, we don't ask what people's current salary is because we, we don't want to penalize people. We don't, you know, you, women, we know typically women aren't as good as negotiating on salary. I'm not saying all women, but some women are not as good as negotiating on salary. Similarly, some women need to see 80% of something. Research has shown that women need to see 80% of, of what they can do in a job description before they apply. A guy will see so much and go, do you know what, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. And so, and, and there's neither right or wrong. We actually, again, in, in my current company, we actually have a statement on, our, on all of our job descriptions that say, we know that there are certain people out there that will want to see everything, but we're quite entrepreneurial and therefore we'd encourage you to please apply even if you don't have everything. And I think that's important as an encouragement message, really. But in the conversation with this lady, I just said to her, can I just play back what you've just said to me? And I just said, you've just told me um, you're incredibly competent at your job, that you've, you've got the support of your leader, that you love doing what you do. But when it came to talking about what you're looking for, 
it felt like you were almost excusing where you are in your career and you were incredibly capable and competent. Also, the money that you're asking for is, is less, or the money you're on right now is less than a lot of other people are, or the other guys are asking for. I said, and I said, a guy has come in and spoken and had the same conversation with a guy, and he's basically just come to me and told me, this is what I need. I said, and there's nothing wrong with putting a, putting a price on yourself. There's nothing wrong with being confident about that. But I think in, in certainly in financial services, in what is mainly a male-dominated environment, it can be quite intimidating for, for females to have that conversation. And I've spoken to many women in my career um, who have told me that, that they felt penalized, sadly, because, because of their, their gender. Um, oh, wow. And they, they, they couldn't have the conversation that maybe their male counterparts did. And as I said, that's not, I'm not trying to stereotype all men oh. and all women. No. In my experience, which is, you know, I've got quite a, quite a lot of experience in this field, you definitely do see it. So that's why I think it's important for companies to put in place elements to encourage people to not penalize people and to have the right conversations. Yes, that's a very good point because it's a two-way conversation. Like you say, like companies have to set the create the environment such that this doesn't happen again because it's, it's a negative cycle. It's not like yes. a new thing this has been going on just forever. because someone's been penalized somewhere else doesn't mean you know if, if the role is worth x then we'll pay x we don't yeah. need to be paying x minus 10 because it's a female that's applied who was on no less no no that's, that doesn't even make that sense doesn't when feel you, right at all no no it doesn't but then for anyone who's listening that it's like oh yes like i've had interviews and i have not negotiated or i would love to ask for more and if you were to coach them what how because like sometimes we understand the theory. It's like, well, yeah, I know I have to ask for more. But then it's the somehow something happens in the brain, in the brain, and then there's like either lack of confidence or lack of experience. And then keep and then you combine them. And then that's why we're stuck in that loop. So for anyone, like man or woman, it doesn't matter, who is going through the interviewing process and then they Let's say they receive an offer or the opposite they at the beginning of the interviews they ask like hey how much do you want or what's you know like what are you looking for how would you coach this person to go about that conversation i think firstly it's about knowing your worth right so do the research mm -hmm. and or what your market rate is um be realistic to that there's lots and lots of things out there on, on google that google can help you with that sort of stuff it can help you with with what your market rate is for the role that you're in what your peers um might earn across other industries or other companies friends that you might know whatever it might be so i think know your market rate and stick to it you know be back yourself if you can't back yourself then who else is going to back you and so we will never out of an interview an offer process thinking i negotiated too hard what's the worst that can happen they'll come to a point where they go well we, yeah we do want you but we just can't go there i'm really sorry and then you know where your point is but i would always try and push that as much as possible to to where you feel it should be and that's what negotiation is right you'll get to a place where you're comfortable and they're comfortable but yeah. we, i, I the things I always say to, say to myself, and I'm not very good at it neither, let's, let's be honest. No, I mean, it's, either, right? <laughs> it's talk exactly. about it. Or, you know, just give me a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's just, we're all, it's, it's funny because it, even in the industry that I'm in, I wish I could say, oh, yeah, no, I go in there and I'm, I'm you know, all ballsy and I want this other. But 
that we don't do that because we do want to you, you do want to start on a good foot with any company that you're starting with and you don't but you're never going to start in a company thinking I negotiated too hard and I got the job I wanted if you've negotiated that hard it's because you deserve it it's because you yeah. should be there and because that company should be paying you what they're paying you yeah and I think it's really important to remember um, and again, whether that doesn't matter whether you're male, female or, or whatever, but the, there's definitely a confidence thing there where oh, they've offered me this and maybe I should just accept it. I think it, I'm worth a bit more. So and, and also, if, if there is a position where you get to where you've reached a point, but it's maybe not where you want it to be, then you can have a conversation around, well, OK, so I'm going to come in and I'm saying I'm coming into a role that's slightly different. And then I'm knocking the lights out, push, pulling, uh, shooting the lights out. What what? What do I get then? How? What's the trajectory look like in terms of my pay? There's nothing yes. wrong with asking those questions. You should know those questions to be transparent up front. Yes, you just raised a very good point. But it's like, man, you said like, we should know what's the trajectory when it comes to my pay. Like, I've never even thought about that question before. Usually it's like, hey, what's the career growth? You know, that's kind of a, one of the questions. But I haven't, yeah, I haven't asked like ever in my life. I hadn't even thought about that question. Like what's the trajectory when it comes to my pay? Only if it's important to you. Well, it of, might course, of course, some people, right? Of course. So career pathways and learning. And we, you know, I, when we recruit now, there's so many purpose, learning, career paths, progression. There's so many different things that people look for. And pay is one of them. And actually, it's less of a one. Purpose is more of a reason why people will join a company now as opposed to pay. Yeah. Working at home or that kind of hybrid working, work-life balance, that also seems to be very important, set specifically around the sort of zenial generation and, and beyond. So I think it, if it's important to you, if you're going to resent it or regret it later, then have that conversation. And if, if, you're, if you feel like you're compromising on your salary now, but you really want the job because it offers you all these other things, then have that conversation. But if salary is important to you, then don't be afraid to have that conversation. And experts in HR like myself or recruitment like myself, we're used to it. And there will be a point. And, you know, for us, it's just, it's the day job. Yes, we want to help you, but we also know what our budget is or we know where we can go to or we know what the previous person was on or we know what the current team are on so it has to be you know we, we'll do the benchmarking it's a transaction for us for you it's a much more human experience and I think you should always try and try and have that as a, as a human conversation so that I, you land I love that Mel like definitely <laughs> because this is what this is what we don't find like coming back to my point this is what we don't find in Google like and I felt like that many times that it's like, hey, I'm speaking with some like people. LinkedIn is beautiful because then like people reach out, right? But sometimes you're like, hey, I just feel like a transaction. Yes. And exactly. It's what it is. It's a transaction for somebody else who's just doing their day job. But for it you is, on I, the I other side, you're like, hey, no, it's, I'm not a transaction. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I have a big life and this is what I'm looking for. But also the way that a company has that conversation and treats you through that conversation will give you an indication of the type of company they are as well. Now, I'm really proud that my company will always have a human conversation. Even if somebody isn't successful in an interview, we'll never automate and reject them by email. We'll have a conversation. Similarly, in the onboarding process and the, uh, the negotiating offering process, we'll have a conversation. 
but for us it is about we we we've got the boundaries internally you know in, in our company we'll know where we can go to and what we can do and we might be brokering it with the hiring manager or something like that but yeah. for you the human experience so and I think just the way that you interact with a company you know if they just sent you an email this is your offer is that really the type of company you want to work for now it might be again um for me I, I have to work for a company with a heart and with a soul yes exactly yeah me too <laughs> so before we move on because this is such a big topic and I'm very glad that we started with that anything else that comes to your mind when it comes to negotiating your package as such um, so as I said, I think it's about knowing your worth. I think it's about doing the so doing the market insight and understanding. And you know, there's nothing wrong with. Uh, I always think when when you get offered a package, the best thing to do is is open a bottle of wine, do a pros and cons list. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Just have to be a bottle of wine, be a cup of tea, but to do a pros and cons list, take time to think about it. We always in the, in the industry, we used to say never to offer a candidate the day that they've interviewed. And that was always something I quite I like to stick by, ideally, because I want the candidate to spend a bit of time percolating on it themselves. Of course. And seeing experiences of where we've jumped because we're really excited about a candidate and the business has jumped and gone. We want to offer. We want to offer. And then the candidates felt like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a bit overwhelmed by this. Of and course. actually I have to think about this. And I'd rather people go home and have a sleep and think about the role and decide whether they're excited about it the next morning. You know, it's that whole sleep on it type thing, right? So yeah. I, I do that too. So even if there's an offer and it feels like an unbelievable offer, just take a moment to think about, is it right for you? Is it right for your situation? Is it the right company? You know, it's not always, as I said earlier, it's not always about money. So is this, does this feel like a good opportunity for me for a future? Yes, that's like, yeah, I'm like spot on advice. I agree with you because it is a big decision to change jobs. Let's say I've moved in my last opportunity, like I moved to another continent altogether, right? But other yeah. than that, the great majority of us don't like end up moving <laughs> continents all the time. It's more like even within like your own city, like changing jobs is a big decision. It is money, but the other thing is don't don't be too. There's this whole thing. Oh, you've got to have at least two years in a company. Oh. If it's not. For you if you do go to a company and it doesn't feel right for you then then leave leave you know like don't life life's too short to waste your time and the way that the world is going now is it's much more about gigs it's much more about short-term gigs and people having multiple opportunities across or having opportunities across multiple companies at the same time so i might do three days here as a uh, a people consulting role, but I'm also going to work for this company over here and do something else. So I think it's it's okay, and, and we will we will we'll make mistakes, right? Because yeah. sometimes, and maybe it's not a mistake. You just learn from it quickly. Yeah, that's a very good point that you touched on. Do you think in companies like as large as the big banks, for example, that it's like established institutions like the large companies? Do you think that it will start changing towards that, that it's like, oh, they are open, for example, like putting it out there, like exactly Mel is working in the bank uh, three days a week, a week doing these, but then you go and work with a charity that you really love the other two days a week doing something different or the same thing. But it's like, do you think we're moving towards that world? I do. I do. Because I, I actually think having to move to the candidate market 
and candidates are being it, the market in the UK at the moment, which is where I'm based, is we've got the great resignation. You've got people who've been at home for two years who haven't thought about um, who've really thought about what they want to do and have maybe decided that doing the role they're doing isn't what they want to do. And we're seeing people vote with their feet. We're seeing people go and set up businesses. As somebody I used to work with who has gone and set up a, um, they were on a track for leadership or were on a leadership, in a leadership position in a very specialist function, decided to quit their job, go and run a deli and study nutrition. I mean, it's just, yes. and that's what's happening. Yes. That's what's happening. Yes, that Similarly, sounds like me. People, that's something I would do. Like, oh yeah, I just leave everything yeah. and go and follow and, your and I get it. Yeah, totally get it. If you're, you know, and we've definitely seen a lot of that. We've seen a lot of that in terms of people leaving the company we're in uh, that that I'm in, but also, and and actually, our our um, attrition rates aren't aren't particularly high compared to other industries. I think where I've or other competitors that I've seen. But what we have also seen is um, people coming to us and sort of saying, "Yeah, I'm kind of interested in how this might work for me on a more." interim or part-time or could I do I could I do this on a three-day week could I do a job share so I think the gig market is definitely picking up and those companies that don't the big banks you mentioned but those companies if they don't evolve to support that they're going to lose out on talent at the moment there is a poor expression that we always use in HR the war for talent but there is a war for talent and therefore you've got to we've got to kind of mobilize to to provide an, a way of bringing that talent in and so and I, and some of the big consulting houses have definitely moved to more of that kind of associate model where they'll bring someone in for a period of time and then they let them go at the end and then they might bring them back in or or they'll bring people in who are doing job shares. There's, there's a lot, lots that's happening in the market and COVID as much as it was an awful situation and lockdown and all of that sort of stuff has, has actually really created a massive shift in, in the way that yeah. we think about talent. Oh, that is amazing news for everyone listening out there. <laughs> you, many, many, many of the of the people I know, uh, like from years ago, like we have a job and then we have a passion project. And the struggle in people's minds has always been the, how do I keep my job? And then basically do the passion project and how do I put more time? And let's and say companies should be saying, how can I help you integrate? Them? How can I help you build your passion project and integrate both things? It's like, yeah. there is like, a, I, I can relate to that. There is a huge market for even a whole generation of people with that mindset. So if the big guys want like those people, then exactly, that's the mindset that has always existed. And like you say, right now, it's more like people are more, empowered and taking the decisions well 10 years ago we didn't right now it's a uh, well actually it is employers don't get to choose at the moment <laughs> we get we have to work with the candidates you know we, we've got to try and find a way to to harness the talent that's out there and I think it's I think it's a positive shift in in the market people don't go to a company now and think I'm going to be here for 15 years they're not looking for a lifetime employer they're looking oh. for things I mentioned earlier purpose learning um, you know, growth opportunities, career development, that's what they're looking for. And so they can do that in a non-traditional way through gig working. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I'm so loving this conversation. <laughs> it's going to unexpected I can talk about ways. it till the cows come <laughs> Like so many unexpected ways. I love that. So 
when we were we were we reconnected of course uh after years of not seeing each other and then you were telling me this story about uh, this conversation that you had with one of your friends and how your perception or not your perception but maybe your way of thinking was when you started your career let's say in your early 20s versus now and then how having those experiences have shaped you today can you share with us that story yeah, it's actually an apprentice, uh, but a girl in my team who used to be an apprentice. So she's in her early 20s. Um, I mean, just turned 20. And I was chatting to her. I was wearing a jumper that I actually, and this was only a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm now in my 40s. But I bought this jumper when I was 21 with my first bonus check. And for some reason, I started talking about that. She was like, I like your jumper. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've had it over 20 years. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know what? I bought my first bonus check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Why am I wearing a jumper that's 20 years old? But there we go. And um, it's, it's one of those jumpers, Molly, that's been in and out of the in and out of the um, giving away bag. You know, uh, yeah. I, I had it in the, it's going to the yes, charity shop. I know, no, it's not. I know, no, it's I not. know. We all, we all have that one that it's like, it's going. And then it's like, well, no, just let me take that one out. <laughs> I know, I know. So I was telling her and I started talking about my career, which I hadn't really spent much time talking to her about. And I started, I started my career in, in sales. And I, while I was at university, I got a job for um, a cable and wireless uh, telecoms business. And then when I left university, I tried to use my connections of having this part-time job at the cable and wireless to get a full-time job. And I ended up just in, in a sales role um, just outside of London in a kind of call center. And I got quite frustrated with the lack of information I was getting to be able to sell because I was talking to customers and they're saying, BT are offering me this and such and such are offering me that and our competitors are offering us all these things. And so um, I got a bit frustrated that marketing weren't giving me the information. And then a role came up in marketing. I thought, I've got a chance to change that. So I, I did. I took the opportunity to change it and I moved into marketing and I took on this product. It was a product manager role, actually. So it's a similar, similar role manager role for telebusiness which was free phone local call national call numbers and then I was 21 22 years old and we were having a few problems trying to kind of get one of our um our, our Japanese office to actually pay attention to our our strategy and our channel strategy and our plan and, and the roadmap and all of that sort of stuff and at the same time my best mate was doing the Japanese English teaching scheme in in Japan and so I decided that um, I would position it, that I would go, I would pay for the flight because there was, was a flight ban or something at the time. Um, I'd pay for the flight, but could they put me up in a hotel for two nights? I'd go to the office, I'd go and have a conversation, I'd build relationships, which is something I think I've always excelled at. I'd go and build relationships with the leadership team. I'll present what our strategy looks like, all of this sort of stuff. But I was 20, I think I was 21 years old, 22 years old, which is quite a young age to kind of throw myself yes, out there. And it, definitely. Like, yeah. I, don't, it, it, I mean, I was nervous. I was nervous about the idea, but actually I was like, for me, it was a win-win. I was going to get to see my friend and travel around Japan and get a three-week holiday. That was the other thing. I will take three weeks, not two weeks. So I kind of started negotiating early in my career. And I went to Japan and... I was so nervous. And I mean, this again shows the age thing, but I had my dad's big video camera recorder <laughs> myself beforehand. And I was really, really nervous about, and I remember just going, oh my God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I don't know how to say this and all this sort of stuff. And then I actually filmed myself afterwards. And I was like, you can see my face, I was elated. Like I just, I'd smashed it. 
And I learned really early on in my career to push myself out my comfort zone because I and to see the value of it. And it was only recently when I was reflecting on my career now and where I'm at that I and how I'm still trying to push myself, want to continue to push myself out my comfort zone. I mean, it's a bit boring if you're in your comfort zone, right? And I've I've been there. We've all yes, been there. we've all been there. Yes. And I was thinking, why am I? Why? What? I I recently pushed myself out my comfort zone, and I was thinking, oh, I, I feel like I did again when I was 21 and 22 in my stripy jumper. You know, I, so, <laughs> I I really got excited about it and was like, because I'm. You don't know what's your pos- what's what you're capable of. You don't know what's possible until you push yourself and try. And I just feel that as I've got older, it can be easy to get comfortable and it can be easy yeah. to just kind of settle. That's never been the way for me. And if I get too comfortable and you know I'm, I'm comfy in my slippers, I want to kind of throw the slippers off and reach for the I don't know, reach for something else. And that's that's what I've been doing. But I. I was reflecting that not everybody has that experience or that opportunity. And so actually, as, as a leader of my team, I, I really encourage my team to try and push themselves out of their comfort zone. And, you know, if they feel, if they feel uh, they need to be 50% more out of the comfort zone, I think. So it's like, yes. I don't want a little bit out. They need to be like, oh, Mel, really? How Gosh. am I going to do Do you know what? You can do it. You can do it. And I'll be there. I'll have the the uh, armbands on if you sink but you're not going to sink because you're going to believe in yourself and you're yes. going to do it so and you know what what you're describing right now it's the feeling remember when we when we were like starting the bank like back yes. then it was like uh, oh we don't know how to do this <laughs> yes no one you know knew what? we're gonna learn no we no one knew and right now it's the same you know like if you're going to go and start the well in our, my case a new bank but a, a new fintech or something but if it's like you're going to start a new business or a new role or something it's like you don't know that's normal that's like actually what's expected, the worst that can happen expected that right? you don't know because because you're doing this for the first time and that's yeah. the point yeah, like exactly why would you that. want to repeat another experience that it's exactly the same like just like get out of your comfort zone as much as you can so that then you can grow and learn and push boundaries and if if I think about where we work together that to me I went from a 140,000 big bank person big bank to uh being the 15th person in a startup that again was me pushing myself out of my comfort zone it's really interesting that recent experience that i've had pushed me back to being 20 feeling about 21 and 22 because it felt like such a big push rather than that experience which was quite risky but again kind of what's the worst that can happen i'll get some good experience and if i hadn't had that experience i wouldn't be where i am today and i think that's something you have to remind yourself is even if you fail what's the worst that can happen you will learn from it and if you can fail and pick yourself up then that's that's exactly what you need to do. I love that. And I want to expand a little bit more on that as the final remarks. Failure. Like whether that is in an interview or in a project or in life, what's your take on how we can use failure towards our, I guess, like use failure as, as a, as, as an energy platform, for change as a yeah. platform and energy platform yeah and energy I mean, for change yeah because it's because it's a human concept and we're all human so it happens to everybody and whether yeah. it be the person you're interviewing with whether it be the person you're sat on the bus with we've all failed at something in our time 
And I think it's really important to, to remember that. And as long as you learn from your failure, and as long as you don't let it beat you, and as long as you use it in the right way, use that energy of that to take you forward. You know, we set, set talk about failing, failing fast and moving on, right? It's, it's, it's so important. Don't dwell on the failure. You fail, you fail. What can you do about it, right? You fail. Don't dwell on it. Move on. Go and use that experience to not do it again. Exactly. Um, I just think, again, and to me, that it's, it's, a, it's a human thing that we all do. And actually, it can be an opportunity to build a bond with someone. It can be an opportunity to share an experience with somebody. Oh, that's a beautiful, I've never thought about it like that. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way to, yeah, to create an experience with someone, to create that bond, to be human. Yeah. Actually, it's what it is. Like, we have these negative perceptions about failure, but actually what it does, it's, it, it's just like human. And if we stop judging it, and instead we start seeing it as, hey, it's just part of the human experience and actually we all have it. And when we share and we're vulnerable about it, sometimes it helps us create like new bonds and experiences and learning and all that. And understanding how people deal with failure. So if, again, if we talk about interviewing, when we're interviewing people, understanding how people bounce back from failure. One of my questions I generally ask people in the sort of non-structured, we're not particularly structured, is I'll say to them, tell me about your worst day at work. And that's really interesting what people tell you. They might tell you whether it's very, it's been an emotional experience or whether something just didn't work or whether there was just too much work. Yes, yeah. It gives you, it's a broad way of getting to understand from somebody what makes them tick and where that tick can stop and then how you can kind of move on from that. What did you do about it? What did you learn? You know, well, I had a really bad day. So I, I went out with my mate for a drink and the next morning was fine. Or, you know, it was a really bad, and don't be wrong, there is this, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of serious things that happen out there. And I always think about my industry and, you know, we're not, we're not heart surgeons. We're not rocket scientists. Um, we've got some very clever people, but at the end of the day, you know, we're in a commercial business. I think about some of the roles and, and out there that where people are actually having real impact on human lives. And I think that's very different, but I do think that it is just, it's so important and um, to just think about how it all kind of comes together, really. Yeah. Well, Mel, that's a beautiful wrap up. So we went through interviewing, asking for your worth, getting out of your comfort zone, redefining failure. It's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show. Oh, yeah, thanks. it was a great conversation, as usual. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if people wanted to reach out and connect with you, where can they find you? Yep, so I'm on LinkedIn under Melanie Punch. Um, very open to, to anyone reaching out to me. Not recruitment agencies, I don't need them, but anybody. Else. Exactly. No, not those. <laughs> <laughs> That's, this podcast is not intended for those purposes. <laughs> Okie dokie. Mel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And everyone, hope you enjoyed the episode. Do send us your questions, comments, uh, insights, and I'll see you next week. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye.